Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. There are amazing miracles happening throughout the world that are drawing Buddhists to Christ. But for every Buddhist believer, there are millions who have yet to meet a follower of Jesus. As we think about a religion like Buddhism or Hinduism and the millions, estimated between 500 million and a billion Buddhists and over a billion Hindus, I see people that are trapped in a circle seeking merits through spinning of wheels, of bowing down, of doing pilgrimage, and not even knowing if it does any good. There's a deep-seated belief in people's hearts that they don't control their own destiny, that the gods or karma or whatever it might be is in control of their destiny. Most people live on a day-to-day basis without any real sense of joy or purpose or hope because they just know that this is just one step in a path that could take hundreds of thousands of lifetimes. All these things that they do, whether spinning the wheel, walking around the temple, doing the pilgrimage, being on the beads, doing the chants, is, is trying to earn favor. And we have a beautiful, message from Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith, you are saved. Help us as we pray that God would bring the light and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ into their lives. Would you please stand? We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7 for this message, but we're going to begin with a scripture that many of you know by heart. We're going to put up on the screen. It's John 3.16. And I would just like us to declare and proclaim and state this truth together. Can we do that? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Lord, I pray over these next few moments that you would continue to do what you've been doing ever since we got saved. Ever since we came into relationship with you. And that is downloading your heart into ours. That's what we pray for, God. May we have a bigger piece of your heart for this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. What a great month it has been. Missions Month. It's a big deal for our church. It's a big deal for our church, and today we come to the end of our missions month, which is what we call our Faith Promise Sunday. And just a little bit, just to let you know, we're going to have opportunity together to make faith promises for this coming year. And the question that is raised is why? And throughout this month, we've tried to speak to that. Pastor Pat had a powerful message in week one of missions month, speaking about the why we do missions. And Over the last couple of weeks, we've heard testimony from other parts of our world, out of our country, in our country, of what God is doing. Uh, We're trying to answer that question of why. But why is a valid question. Why do so many individuals and families in this church sacrifice? Why do so many individuals and families in this church, month after month, prioritize 
missions. Give up certain things in order to prioritize missions. Why? Well, it's because God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's because the Great Commission is abundantly clear. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. He made it clear. It's because every person, even the next person in Somalia, the next person in India, the next person in China, who hears the message of Jesus for the first time, that person matters greatly to God. Why? Because it's not okay that there are still traffickers who are approaching poor and poverty-stricken families in Thailand and India and other places around the world offering just a bit of money for their precious seven-year-old daughters. It's not okay. Because it's not okay that there are still villages in Africa that still do not have access to clean drinking water. It's not okay that we look at our world and we see there's so many who are still trapped in fear of their witch doctor or their imam. It's not okay. It's not okay that I have heard the gospel shared hundreds of times. Can anybody relate? And there are still millions and millions and millions who haven't heard one time. It's not okay. I mean, aren't there just so many people in our world as we see, as we hear, as we engage, that are living in desperate situations, desperately in need of hope. And in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, we read an account of a very desperate situation that took place 2,800 years ago in what is now present-day central Palestine. Here's what took place. The enemy army of Aram came and laid siege to the city or the area of Samaria. And at that time, Samaria uh, was inhabited by Israelites. And the king of Aram came and, uh, as the enemy and laid siege. And they stayed outside after gathering and, uh, their troops around this, encircling them so they could not escape. And they waited. They waited either for them to starve to death or for them to surrender. And it became so desperate for the Israelites inside the city of Samaria, that they were just trying to live one day at a time, just trying to survive. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 25, describes their situation. It says, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. A donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver so that they could eat that. And I still remember my very first missions trip. I, I think I had just finished eighth grade and we went to Jamaica. And if you're thinking like tourist attraction, that's not where we went. We went into the mountains and it, it, was, it was third world where we were at. And so that was my first missions trip experience. And I remember on one of the days, I don't know why, but the group I was with, the youth pastor I was with, he, if you knew my youth pastor, you, that might make more sense, but he, he stops and we stop at the side of the road. And on missions trips, when you're in places like this, you don't usually, usually eat the food off the side of the road, right? The vendors that are there who have set up shop because it hasn't been prepared in a way that our stomachs will handle it because of what we're used to. Da, 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 da. Well, he stopped. Here I was being offered then a, a cup of goat head soup. And some people asked me, like, what did it taste like? I don't remember what it tasted like. I just remember it was, it was okay until I got down to the chunks.
Now, normally the Israelites would not have eaten donkey head soup, okay? That's something that they normally would not have done. The, the head of the donkey was known to be the least nourishing. It was the grossest, as you can imagine, part of the body. And so the Israelites normally wouldn't have had touched that. They wouldn't have eaten that. But times were so desperate that they were eating donkey head just to stay alive. It's believed that the cost for them to purchase a donkey head in order to maybe feed their family for another day, which I don't even know what you eat on that thing, I don't even want to think about it, was about $50 in today's currency. But remember, they were under siege and for a long time, and so as the famine progressed, they, they, many of them did not have $50 to buy a donkey head, and so uh, the only other option for them, believe it or not, was to spend about $3, and that would give them a little, it's called a, uh, the, the scripture says a quarter of a cab of seed pods. Now, that is believed to have been another name for dove dung, a.k.a. bird poop. And that's what they, if they scrounged around their coins, their shekels, that they could maybe buy a little thing of bird poop. Now, I, I thought about this a little bit. I'm like, I can't even imagine what that would taste like. And if any of you are kind of curious of what bird poop tastes like, come to my house. Because I think all of the birds in the neighborhood have targeted our mailbox. And they have been bombing it again and again and again. We wash it off and the next day it's just, they hate us. They hate us can't imagine what bird poop would taste like. I can't imagine being in that desperate of a place. And I've kind of made light of donkey head and, and bird poop. But th the reality was that the Israelites were in a very, very, very desperate situation to the level that I have never experienced and possibly none of us have ever experienced. I'll prove that to you in the next verse. Verse 26 says, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, he was just exasperated, He's, if the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? In other words, there's nothing there. There's nothing, no way I can help you. Then he asked her, oh, what's the matter? She answered, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. And when the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. And as he went along the wall, the people looked and saw that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body. The king of Israel couldn't take it any longer. And you say, how in the world could people do something like that? Understand, the people of Israel at this time, by and large, were pagans. It's not like they were living for God, serving God, reading the commandments and just wanting to trust God. That's not where they were at. They were far from God. And so therefore, people that are far from God do things that we might think are unthinkable. And that's where they were at. A total place of desperation. Now normally wearing sackcloth was a sign of mourning, right? But in this case, it was a sign of anger. The king of Israel was so furious with God. And he was enraged with God's prophet Elisha. 
And he's at a place in his life where he's like, God, why aren't you doing anything if you even exist? And to Elisha, Elisha, you're, you're supposed to be the man of God. I've heard of these other miracles that you've done. Why won't you do a miracle? Why won't you do anything in order to help us? The king was at a place where he looked around at his people in that city and they were eating bird poop just to survive. They, they were actually killing their own babies and eating their babies in order to survive. And he's like, something has to be done. Not, not something should be done. Something has to be done. Have you ever seen something in the world where you thought something has to be done about that? Like you saw something, it was such a travesty, it was so heartbreaking that you couldn't just go on to the next thing. Like maybe you, you experienced it, you saw it or you heard about it, but you just like something has to be done. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those moments. I've had a number of those in my life. I, I'm thinking of when I was in Mexico years ago taking a team of students and we, we went into the, the trash heaps, the trash dumps of the city and found kids living there, orphans place infested with anything you could imagine, lice, everything else. And we went to those kids. You see a place like that, you're like, something has to be done. I remember being in Haiti and, and, and going to what's called, or what was called the home of the dying and, and holding uh, HIV positive infants. Infants that were just left on the street in front of their door, hoping that they would take them in. Holding little babies. Who, who then grown, you know, maybe they're two years old, two and a half, whatever, with uh, no, no, no one to hug them and hold them. And they would scream and scream and scream. We have these moments when something has to be done. Experienced it when I was in Nepal. Outside of a Hindu temple and seeing uh, people mourning and wailing as they are, they're, they're taking their loved one who has just died and they have no hope. No hope. All they can do is burn the body and push the ashes into their holy river. No hope. Have you heard someone wail with no hope? You don't forget that noise. And the king in this account was so angry. He was so angry with God. He was so angry with Elisha that nothing was happening. Something had to be done. This was the worst it could ever get. Something had to be done. And he was so angry that he ordered, he ordered that Elijah's head be chopped off. You can't make this stuff up. He was that angry. And he sends people to him, his messengers, his soldiers, and then he goes himself. And when they arrived at Elisha's place, they arrived there to chop off his head. And when they arrived, Elisha had a word from God for them. Chapter 7, verse 1, Elisha says this, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel. A seah was about 12 pounds. Imagine that. They were paying what? Five shekels for a thing of bird poop. And Elisha says, I have a word from God. In 24 hours, 12 pounds of flour will be able to be purchased for one shekel. 
and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. In other words, just watch, in 24 hours, the days of donkey heads and dove, and, and dove dung are over. Food will be plentiful in 24 hours. The man who was right there beside the king looked at him, verse 2, and, and, and said, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? In other words, if God could do something, even if God could do something, could he even accomplish this? Do you hear the doubt in this man? He's like, if God can, like, like if, if it's even possible, how could even God take care of this situation? It's so, so desperate. From the book Don't Hold Back, the year was 1907 in the Korean Peninsula, was less than 1% Christian. The church was reeling from persecution and marginalization. Church leaders, church members, missionaries were all discouraged and divided. They knew they needed God. And a group of about 1,500 Christians came together to seek God in Pyongyang, which is now the capital of North Korea. And God met them in a way that no one could have imagined. During the first night of their gathering, church leaders were suddenly overcome by their sinfulness and their need for God's grace. They began to publicly confess hidden and secret sins, repenting and crying out for God's mercy. One leader who was there that night recorded the scene this way. God came to us in Pyongyang that night with the sound of weeping. As the prayer continued, a spirit of heaviness and sorrow for sin and weeping continued and affected everyone. What had begun as a simple gathering turned into a full-on revival. It continued the next day and the next and the next. Finally, these Christians scattered into villages and into churches across the region where similar scenes continued. People gathered every morning just to pray. The people would pray all night on Fridays. Christians experienced unity in Christ. Multitudes of people were coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Churches were being planted across the country. And the move of God did not stop. Year after year, decade after decade, it continued among people who kept seeking God. Now fast forward 100 years. There are now estimated over 10 million followers of Jesus in South Korea. Plus the unknown number of persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who reside in North Korea. Today, South Korea sends more missionaries than any other nation in the world, with the exception of the United States. And that's remarkable when you consider that uh, South Korea is the size of Indiana. Imagine a country today that is less than 1% Christian, like Afghanistan. Can you imagine in 100 years Afghanistan having over 10 million believers and being the largest mission-sending agency in the world with the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ? Such a thought is not outside the realm of possibility because we're talking about God and what God can do when people begin to seek him. See, Elisha got a word from God 
And there were a lot of people who doubted. They're like, there's no way. We can't see that. We can't fathom that happening. We can't fathom a God that could even do that. But even though there was doubt in the camp, even doubt could not stop God from doing what he had planned. Chapter 7, verse 3 says this. This is awesome. You're going to love this. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say, we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Imagine the volume that God must have turned up on his playlist for a highly trained, skilled army, an entire army, to leave everything and run for their lives. They actually fled for 25 miles. And for 25 miles as they fled, they're hearing the sound of chariots and horses like they'd never heard before behind them. For 25 miles, these guys were scared out of their minds. They were so scared that they left all the food, the clothes, they left their horses, and they left gold. Remember the four lepers. Four lepers had just stepped into the camp and it's eerily quiet. The men who had leprosy, verse 9, reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. And at the point of starvation, these four men didn't just eat, they feasted. I don't know how long it had been since they had even seen food, let alone eaten it. And now, buffet. More than they could ever eat in a lifetime. They feasted and feasted. They noticed the silver and gold. And so they went and they, they grabbed up as much as they could carry. And they ran out of the camp, dug holes and buried it and hid it. And then ran back to get some more. And think about this. If you're in their shoes... They were outcasts. The people of Israel in Samaria had kicked them out because they were lepers. They were treated as outcasts. They were ostracized from society. They were left to die and fend for themselves. And, and these men then struck it rich. And as we all learned when we were kids, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Right? And so they are doing what most anybody would do coming across that treasure Hide it, right? Think about all the things on the Christmas list that you've been wanting to get and this year is happening because you have just discovered the treasure of a lifetime. And these men, as they're picking up silver and gold and they're going off for a second round to go hide it, huge smiles I'm sure on, them, on their faces, all of a sudden a thought hit them, a thought hit them.
thought hit them that I believe was straight from heaven and it stopped them in their tracks. Verse 9. They're holding all this stuff. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. What we're doing is not right, they said. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves? How can we do that? Those four had struck it rich, but they couldn't shake that thought. They couldn't shake the thought that just one mile away, there were desperate people who were eating dove dung just to stay alive. There were desperate people who were even eating their own kids. Try to imagine a friend of yours discovering a cure for cancer, but not telling anyone. Would they still be your friend? You and I would probably say to them, hey, hey, what you're doing is not right. This is a day of good news for so many people. And you're keeping it to yourself. I mean, who would keep good and life and hope and help from those who need it if they had the help to give? And the lepers realized that what they had been given was so good it had to be shared. Had to be. In fact, it would be criminal to not do so. They couldn't live with themselves if they didn't share the good news that they were now aware of. Before they had nothing to offer the people in the city, but now they were given something that could literally change their lives. And that private party that they had for a few moments there came to a screeching, screeching halt. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. Let's remember something. We... As followers of Jesus who are here today, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. We were once enemies of God. We were once undeserving spiritual beggars who are about to be cut off from, the, from having an eternity with the presence of God, the living God who created everything. We were lost, desperate hopeless. And then Jesus came. And then Jesus came. And he died and he rose again. And somehow, for some reason, you and I were given the undeserved blessing and privilege to actually hear the good news. Why did you hear it? Why, why did I hear I can't answer that one. All I know is we did. And God's grace was on us in such a way where we called upon the name of the Lord to be our Savior, to be our Lord. This account in 2 Kings really did happen in history. And I believe it is one of the many pictures in history pointing us to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. How he can transform lives, villages, people groups. One day the people in that city of Samaria were hopeless, on the verge of death, an eternity without God. And the next moment they're hearing good news and it literally changed everything. All because four lepers 
who were undeservedly blessed said, this is a day of good news and we will not keep it to ourselves. Church, this is a day of good news. And we will not keep it to ourselves. Some put the number at 3.2 billion people who have still yet to hear an adequate presentation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They're desperately trying to stay alive. They are desperately, many of them, trying to do enough good works in order to somehow get favor, earn merit, to somehow be accepted into some sort of afterlife. So many people trying to fill a deep longing that can only be filled by God, but they don't know what we know. They don't know that God so loved the world that he gave. They don't know that that Jesus came and he died on the cross for sins and he rose again and he defeated the enemy. Many of them don't know that they don't have to live in fear and hopelessness and addiction because Jesus conquered all of it. They just don't know. So we will share the good news because it's the right thing to do. How can we not do everything possible, everything possible in order to share the opportunity that we've been given and that is to call upon Jesus. Romans chapter 10, how then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed and how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can someone preach unless they are sent how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news imagine with me what a privilege it was for those four lepers they still had issues right they had sickness they still had their leprosy it's not like the 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 community was going to applaud them into their community and, and include them but can you imagine how good it felt and what a privilege it was for those lepers to walk in to the city gate and say guess what we have good news We have good news. We have good news. What a privilege it is for us as believers to share God's heart and to share the good news with this world. What a privilege it is. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How how much of a privilege is it for us to show people that they uh, were lost but they can be found. To show people that there is a heaven to gain. That there is a Savior who loves them who loves them, who loves them. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments and pray about what you just heard. If this message spoke to you, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to office at cccmidland.com or connect with us on your favorite social media at cccmidland. 